All right, good morning. Hope, hope you are doing well. I want to encourage you guys, if you have your Bible, to turn to John 11. We're going to be continuing our series on the I Am statements. And we are on the fifth one of the seven that Jesus said in John 11 today. Um, we're uh, going to be honoring uh, and remembering uh, those who've gone before us as, uh, as Pastor Dell said earlier, a little bit after the service. But I just want to take a moment to honor someone who uh, went to be with the Lord this week. And uh, that's probably my, uh, uh, my favorite and most influential uh, preacher in my life has been Ravi Zacharias. And some of you know who he is. He uh, was an evangelist, an apologist, uh, and has really blessed me ever since I was... Uh, very young I started listening to him and uh, he's on YouTube you could still listen to him and he's just been an incredible uh, blessing to my life the last tweet I got from him uh, late last week was this and I want to read it because it kind of relates to what we're talking about today it says this the story of the gospel is the story of eternal life my life is unique and will endure eternally in God's presence I will never be no more. I will never be lost because I will be with the one who saves me. Amen? The person who informed me of, uh, of his passing texted me this week, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and said, uh, Ravi Zacharias has passed away. And you know, we use phrases like that, like they're gone or they've passed away. And... This morning, what we're going to look at is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And nobody passes away. Uh, we pass into the next life to be with him. And uh, so I like what Ravi said, I will never be no more. Uh, Michael Ramsen, the new director or president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, said this, Ravi Zacharias knew that he wasn't simply running a race for Jesus. He knew ultimately that he was running a race to him. And that's so important. We're not here to serve God alone or just to do things for him, but to encounter him and to meet him and to know him. And so today's opening question for you is, um, if God could meet a need in your life right now, what is the greatest need that he could meet for you? Another way of looking at that is, what does it look like for God to love you? And uh, that's what we're going to look at today as we look at this story in John 11. Because over and over again, you're going to see that Jesus loved Lazarus. And yet, it seems like he allowed him to die. And over and over again in this story, you're going to see people saying, Well, if you would have been here, God, if, you just if Jesus would have been here... He could have healed him. And uh, Jesus says that this, um, that this happened for the glory of God. Yesterday we were on Zoom with our uh, students and we were talking about uh, showing mercy and not showing favoritism. And uh, at the end of the uh, time, we started asking the difference between mercy and grace. You know, mercy is not getting what we deserve. <laughs> and it's easy. Uh, very often my number one prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me because I know that I... I, de I don't deserve his grace and his goodness. But grace is getting something you don't deserve. 
And so we started asking the question, what are some things that God gives you or gives us that are just things we don't deserve? You know, and the first answer, of course, was salvation. You know, and uh, we said, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, um, eternal life, you know, forgiveness. And then somebody said, you know, he gave us himself. And really, if you think about that, it's not just the cross for the sake of saving us. It's he gave us himself. The greatest gift that God could give us is himself and us being able to know him more. You know, John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that you may know him. And if you've been following with us on our, our Facebook videos, Foundation, Faith and Feelings, we've been emphasizing that, you know, the Apostle Paul said, it, it's all about, I, I count everything rubbish so that I may know him. So I'm going to present to you guys th this morning that the greatest need that we have is, is God himself is to know his glory, to know who he is, and to have a relationship with him, and to, and to, and to know more of what he's doing. Uh, I don't know about you, did you ever get inside your, um, your, uh, your shower, and you put the shower on, and all of a sudden you realize there's no soap in there? Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah. I don't know why, but it, it often happens in our house. Um, and uh, it happened to me this morning uh, again. I actually I knew it was coming, and I, was still, I went looking around for soap, and I found this really colorful soap that my wife and daughters had made a couple years ago. They wrapped it up, but I'm like, you know what? It seems like it's too nice to be used, and so I didn't have any soap. But uh, I should, probably shouldn't be telling you that because there's other things like shampoo that you can use. Um, but there's a true story about a soap maker who was walking along the road with a preacher one day, and he said to the preacher. The gospel you've preached has not done much good. There is still a lot of wickedness in the world, and there's wicked people too. Quietly, they walked on. The preacher did not reply to his friend's comment until they passed a dirty little child making mud pies in, in the gutter. With this before them, the preacher spoke, Soap has not done much good, for there is still much dirt in the world and many dirty people. Oh, well, you know, said the soap maker, soap is only useful when it is applied. Exactly, said the preacher. So it is with the gospel that we proclaim. Amen? Amen. Well, let's look at this passage in, uh, in John 11. And we're going to start with verse 1, but I'm going to uh, skip around. I'm going to focus mostly on 17 to 44, but... Verses 1 through 6 kind of set the stage here. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, 
let us go back to Judea. Now, this is really interesting here, because if you look at this in verse 6, it says, so or therefore. <laughs> and twice it says that Jesus loved Lazarus. There was a special relationship with these people. Mary and Martha were very close in Lazarus. He had spent time in their home. You might remember Luke 10. This is the same Mary and Martha, where Mary, Martha's busy getting all the stuff ready. And, uh, and Mary's the one sitting at Jesus' feet. And Lazarus lived there. And, and he loved him. And yet, he's sick. Now, at the end, if you want to do some chronology here, at the end of chapter 10, Jesus is in Perea, which is about 20 miles away. And Ben, back then, they didn't have all these cars like we, you and I have today in this parking lot. So that's like, you know, it's like a, over a two-day trip. And, uh, and, and yet, it says Jesus waited. He doesn't move. And he stays there. And he tells his disciples that this will not end in death. But, you know, a lot of times when we read these stories, we don't really uh, put ourselves in the position of the people that are experiencing them at the time. You know, and Mary and Martha are like, you know, please come. And for some reason, God's timing is not their timing. And so let's keep reading here at what happens here. In, uh, in verse 12, his disciples said, Lord, because uh, Jesus says uh, he's sleeping. He uses this metaphor of sleeping. His disciples are like, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. <laughs> and in verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So... In verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Just a little bit of a background here. Uh, he's in Perea. He comes and he travels all the way uh, about four days later to get to, um, to get to Bethany, where they are. And Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. So, and if you remember, there was already a plot to kill Jesus. They were trying to kill him. And his disciples did not want him to go near Jerusalem because they were afraid it's like going into the lion's mouth. But Jesus has a different purpose, and he's not afraid to lose his life. In fact, at the end of this story, if you keep reading in chapter 11, they have another plot to kill him. And it gets even more serious, the religious leaders, that is. So he goes to Jerusalem and says, Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Verse 20, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again on the resurrection at the last day. Most scholars believe that first century Jews believed in life after life after death, which meant that there was going to be a final resurrection someday, but it was way off, way out there. And when people died, that was it. And so, you know, you just wait. But look at what Jesus says in verse 25, and it's our key verse today. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. 
and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? Now, I want you to pay attention here to how Jesus responds differently to Mary as he did to Martha. With Martha, he gives her direct truth about himself and challenges her on what he believes and what she believes. And now you see a strong emotional response from Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he's asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. We used to claim that this is the shortest uh, Bible verse in, uh, in the Bible. Verse 35, if you ever want to start by memorizing scripture, here's one. John 11:35. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not... He who opened the blind eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. I think the King James Version said, he stinketh. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this a little bit more deeply, God, that you'd open our heart and show us how much you love us. Give us a, a deeper understanding and revelation of who you are. And I pray for anyone here who has lost a loved one, even recently, God, that they would be reminded, Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would comfort them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Even, all right, even in the face of death, the purposes of God are never separated from his love for his own. I don't know if you've ever questioned the love of God. I know I have. 
and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, there are times where circumstances and um, difficulties and things that I had hoped for would happen, you wonder. And, you know, we can question God's ability. That's one thing. But when we question his love and his care, I believe, and many commentators and scholars believe, that that is what, one of the reasons why he is so deeply moved and troubled here. Did you notice that there's a common theme here? Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And I think a lot of times we do that. We say, God, if you had cared, if you had, if you loved me, you would have done this. And so this morning, I want to ask you, how do you measure God's love for you? And you know, it, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. You know, the answer to that is the cross, obviously. But the reality is, is the purpose of the cross is for us to know him. And so the greatest way that God could love us is to show us more of his glory. You know, John 1.16 says he came full of grace and truth so that we might, we beheld his glory. The glory of God. That, that's what the purpose of this, this encounter is. And that's what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, this sickness will not end in death. It will end in the glory of God. How does God get glory? By revealing himself to us and us responding. How do you measure God's love for you? Don't measure the love of God by how much health and wealth and comfort he brings into your life. If that were the measure of God's love, then he hated the Apostle Paul. <laughs> measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows you and how much of himself he gives you to know and enjoy. And you might say, well, Tony, I don't know. I don't see him. You know, I'm, I don't know. Where is he? Well, that's why we look to his word. And the Bible says that he came to earth and he showed us his glory. We look at Jesus, you know, in the weeks ahead, we're going to read John 14, where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you're looking for God, the answer is look at Jesus. Look at him. He came to show us who God was. And that's what he meant when John 17, 3, where he said, this is eternal life, to know me. John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. There's a direct link when we come clean before Jesus and we start putting his words into practice and we start applying it and obeying him. The Bible says he's going to manifest himself to us. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. All right, let's look really quick at these three responses. Um, if you've been following the Facebook videos that we've been putting out, the last one, episode six, I talked about how Christianity is not a, a cookie-cutter religion. It, what God has for you, he doesn't always have for the next person. He leads us, just like a parent parents their kids in a different way based on who they are, God often parents us and relates to us and reveals himself personally to us differently. And so in this story, I want you to see how he interacts with Mary. He gives Mary, I mean Martha, Martha, he gives Martha the truth. 
Mary, he gives, he show, he reveals himself as an emotional, that God is moved emotionally and he weeps with her. And then the mourners who are skeptical, you know, if he could have opened the eyes of the blind, why couldn't he heal this guy? He shows his power and his authority and by action. And all of this is a sign to point to who he is. So my first uh, point here is Jesus responds to questions about his love with powerful truth regarding who he is. Jesus reveals his glory with his words and with the truth. How do we know who God is? You know, it's interesting, Peter, Peter experienced all these miracles of God, all these disciples did, and he experienced everything. And he was even up on the, trans, on the mountain of transfiguration, and he saw Jesus and, you know, manifest his glory, and he saw all these amazing things. But when he wrote his book in 2 Peter 1, he says, And we know this, we have this made sure by the words of the prophet. He goes back to God's truth and God's word. And, and look at what Jesus says here. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, when the word believe is used in the New Testament, particularly in John, it's not just intellectual assent, okay? Yesterday, uh, my wife had me putting up some pl uh, pots of um, uh, uh, flowers, and she wanted me to hang them on our tree branch. And uh, she also wanted me to put a nail in the tree branch, but I won't tell you about that. Um, but <laughs> So I had to stand on this chair, and our, and our chairs on our deck are not too strong and I got on them and she says you're gonna fall right through <laughs> you know and I and I had to stand very carefully and I had faith that they were gonna hold me but I, I was I was very nervous but I stood on the chair you know it's one thing to say that you believe and Martha does it she does she says I know that you are the Messiah but the word believe in the in the New Testament is to trust is to place your trust in and you could, I could say that this chair is going to hold me, but it's not until I stand on it that my faith is actually exercised. And the same is true here with, with Martha. He's saying, do you, she's, he's saying to her, do you really believe this? Let me give you some points to write down or, or, or put, take into your notes. Number one, Mar Martha believed that the resurrection was an event that was going to happen. Jesus showed her that the resurrection is a person. It's him. I am the resurrection and the life. Put your faith in me. Don't just look to what's going to happen. Look to me. He's a person. If I sent you a text and you don't respond to that text, you know, it's a communication issue. And, you know, that's kind of common in our culture today. But let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you to measure the relationship you have with Jesus, the person, what would you go to? I don't know about you, but for a long time in my Christian experience, I always went to, well, how good am I doing? You know, have I been doing what he says? And you know, in, in a relationship with somebody, it's a lot about, is about communication and connection. And I think sometimes this is why we're all tempted to become religious in, in the negative sense. Because religion is, I'm going to try to perform for you 
and then make you happy so that you give me what I want. And that's how most of us, and that's how for most of my life, how I related to God. God, if I do this for me, you'll do that for me, you know. So I just got to get all my, you know, my, 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 my act together. And the gospel says no. None of us have our act together. That's why Jesus came and he loves us. And he meets us where we're at. And he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants a relationship. Martha's knowledge of eternal life was an abstract idea. Jesus proved that knowledge of eternal life is a personal relationship. How do you measure your relationship with somebody, with anybody? I don't know about you, but usually I, I go back to how long, how, how much we've been communicating. You know, have I been spending time connecting with this person? Do I know what's going on in their world? Do they know what's happening with me? That's the kind of relationship that Jesus offers to us. You say, well, how is that possible? Because he's alive. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen? We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve somebody that just came and went and is sitting up in heaven out there, you know, way out there. The Bible says that through the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. So Martha believed the resurrection was an event. Jesus showed her that it was a person. Martha's knowledge of eternal life was an abstract idea. Jesus proved that knowledge of eternal life is about relationship. And the last one is Martha thought victory over death was a future expectation. Jesus corrects her, showing that victory is a present reality. N.T. Wright says this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Andrew Murray said this, A dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. That's the gospel. How about Mary? Jesus responds to questions about his love with powerful emotions regarding his relationship with death and us. As you can see here, he weeps. And there's a debate about how, why, he, why he weeps. And, and, and there's been funerals, and I, and I use this passage a lot of times at funerals because I think it's appropriate. And, and there's a sense in which I really believe that, you know, why is Jesus weeping? He's weeping at the pain and the, and the, um, the problem of death. See, the word death in the, in the Bible it means separation. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, we are separated from God. All of us are. Until Christ came and until we accept that gift and we re re reconnected with him. Uh, through our faith in, in, his, in his cross and in his death and resurrection. But I think Jesus here is seeing the pain of death. But the words that are used here are not the typical words for compassion. And I'll be honest with you, I've often preached this saying, oh, you know, Jesus understands and he's compassionate and he's sympathetic. And I believe he is. Because the, the way he's been revealed in the Gospel of John, he is incredibly empathetic. And, and compassionate but here it says he was greatly troubled and the word that they use twice is disturbed and it's a word that's used for anger and a lot of commentators and pastors believe that he's angry that they're questioning his love he's upset he's upset at what death does to people and what it did to Lazarus but he knows he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead 
And so there's a sense in which he's really disturbed by all these things that are happening. And he's showing us that our God is a God of emotion. And that he knows us and he loves us. And he knows what we're going through. Somebody uh, said this about Ravi Zacharias. Ravi saw the objections and questions of others not as something to be rebuffed, but as a cry of the heart that had to be answered. Jesus is not interested in winning the argument. He cares about the heart. And the point of my, what I'm saying here is that when you're going through pain and difficulty, he knows what you need, and he meets us where we're at. With Martha, Martha needed the truth, and she needed to believe in him and know that he was the resurrection and the life. Mary needed the comfort, and she needed, she, he needed, to, she needed to know that, that, uh, that Jesus was there for her during her pain. Oswald Chambers said this, A man with a vision of God is not devoted simply to a cause or a particular issue. He is devoted to God himself. God cares about how we feel. God cares about what we're going through. God cares, and he care, and it moves him. I hope you'll take time to read through the Gospel of John as we're doing this 7 I Am series because it's so amazing how he responds differently to different people. The woman at the well, the man at the pool, Nicodemus. It, it's, it's not a cookie-cutter religion. You know, I, I mentioned this in our Facebook videos, but you know, the Greeks uh, focused on knowledge and thoughts and the mind. And sometimes we can get caught up in the ideas and the truths of God. Eastern religions focus on experiences and emotions and encounters and having that connection and having that experience. Us Westerners, we're all pragmatic, pragmatists. We want to know one, two, three. Give me, give me self-help. Give me how-to. What do I do? Christianity doesn't do, it's not all, really isn't any of those. It's a relationship with Jesus who's alive. And that's why it's so scary and it's so dangerous because we can't predict it. We can't control it. But that's why it's so awesome, because our God is a God of love and who reveals himself to us. And that's what this story is about. And so as you read these stories in the Gospel of John, that's why Jesus relates differently to different people in different ways, showing, him, showing who they are in a way that they can understand. All right, let's get to the last part. Um, verses 37 to 44, the actual resurrection. He responds to questions about his love with powerful action. Powerful truth, powerful emotion, and powerful action. The most amazing feature of this miracle is its brevity and simplicity. We don't know what happened. You know, a lot of people today have near-death experiences, and, you know, they, they leave their body, and they see their body, while they're, and then they come back to life, you know, after they're resuscitated. And there's, there's, there's been numbers, numerous number ones, near-death experiences documented. I know of doctors who have come to Christ because of near-death experiences. So the idea of afterlife is very interesting, but we don't get a report here about you know, where Lazarus was for four days. And it's interesting that Jesus came after four days because a lot of scholars believe that in, the, in, the, in this time there was this idea out there uh, in Jewish rabbinical sources uh, somewhat later than the gospel reflect this, that there, that there was a common belief that the Jewish people 
that the spirits of the deceased three days after a person died, the spirits would come back and they would linger at the tomb to be sure that the body was really dead. But when the body had really begun to decompose, finally the spirit would leave. Now, Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture teaches that once we die, we, face, we, face, we go to be with God. We face the judgment. Okay? Hebrews 9.25. But Jesus understood that that's what they were thinking. And so many people believe that he waits four days because if Lazarus had been raised on maybe day one or day two, they would have said, oh, it was just a, 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 a coma, not a resurrection. So Jesus waits four days because he's displaying the power of his resurrection life by raising Lazarus. And Jesus says to him, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Again, this is the point of the passage, to see the glory of God through the power of Jesus. Uh, Matthew Henry once said this, he had to say, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> because if he just said, come out, everybody in the, all the tombs would have come out. The focus is on the manifestation and the glory of God displayed in Christ. You know, it's interesting, when, when he comes out, he still has the grave clothes on. And what does Jesus say? Go and untie them and let him go. And I think, you know, there, there's, there's some metaphors here, and it's not the primary purpose of the passage, but I just want to say this. Jesus entrusts new life to us. When somebody becomes a Christian and they put their life in Christ, they come messy. And it's going to be nasty. It's going to be messy. I had the chance to uh, do some reading this week about Mike Lindell. How many of you ever heard of Mike Lindell with MyPillow.com? Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got an interesting story. He was a crack addict for over 20 years. Uh, cocaine, actually, for many years and then like nine years crack. And uh, he has a book out and how he was like completely like addicted to cocaine and he lost his family, destroyed his marriage. And what's interesting is he felt like God gave him a vision with this MyPillow thing and he, he got it going. And he, he, he was so messy and so messed up that the drug dealers who were selling him the drugs actually did an intervention for him. And they were doing this intervention to try to get him from, to get off the crack. And uh, he finally stopped doing cocaine in 2009. And he started My Pillow around 2011 and, and a little bit before that, but it, it took off in 2011. And you know what's interesting is that his story is really messy. And he says, I didn't really fully surrender to Jesus Christ until 2017. So for about eight years, he's walking around saying, God's given me this vision, you know, and Jesus is the Messiah. And I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to do these things, but he hadn't fully surrendered. And I think that's an interesting point, because a lot of times we, it's, you know, we, we, we can be like Martha. We can believe it and say the right words, but not actually fully surrender. And when somebody does fully surrender, it's going to be messy. And who does Jesus entrust to take off the grave clothes? The faith community, the church. What if the Lord started bringing to us people who were really hurting and broken and messy, and God saves them and reveals himself to them? 
would we be willing to take off the clothes and help them start their new life and get back to normal? Would we be able to embrace the, the stinky smell of people's sin? I hope so. I hope so, because Jesus does. Jesus does. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Let me wrap this up. It's interesting that right after this story, they get into a plot to kill him. Jesus is not afraid of death because he is the resurrection and the life. Do you fear death? Are you living with disappointment of God's delays? What do you need right now? What do you need this morning? If you live in the grip of the terror of death, you will, if you live with the lingering disappointment that God has not come through for you yet, what do you need? You don't need more truths necessarily by themselves. You don't need just an experience that'll last for a few moments. You need an encounter with the living person of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The promise for us believers is that, you remember the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. Remember me when you enter my, your kingdom. We don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus has overcome it. And the good news is his resurrection is, is that his power, the same power, Paul says, that rose Christ from the dead is available to you and I. Can, can you say, amen, can you say with Martha, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I invite you to step into that confession, that faith, to trust in Christ. Don't just believe the doctrine of the resurrection. Meet resurrection in person. Trust in Jesus today. Amen? Let, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself. You've revealed yourself in your son, Jesus. And this is eternal life that we may know you, God. Father, I pray that we would apply the soap, that we would take what you have done for us, apply what you did on the cross and, the, and what you did at, at the empty tomb, and we would apply it to our lives. God, I pray each for each of us, Lord, who are going through difficult times, that we would know, God, that you are trying and you are going to show us more of who you are. Reveal your glory. Show us more, God. You don't always answer all of our questions, Lord, but I know, God, that you choose and you promise to always be with us and to never leave us, and you always promise to overcome uh, any power that stands against us. Lord, we love you today, God. Take our lives and let it be. Lord, we want to give you our lives today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.